Chapter 15 of The Mind the Paint Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susanna Mason. The Mind the Paint Girl by Lewis Tracy. Chapter 15. The Morning After. Well, there, sighed Mrs. Upjohn, absent-mindedly pouring out another cup of tea. I've had a few ups and downs in my life, but this time I'm knocked all of a heap. I feel as if I'd slipped on a piece of soap on the top land and then found myself lying on the all mat. She shot a cautious glance at her daughter, who was lying propped up by pillows on a settee in the boudoir. The girl held a newspaper in her hands, but she'd obviously taken it as a refuge from the alternative of speech, for her eyes were gazing sorrow-laden into vacancy. Ma was en grand tenue, having made a careful toilette in expectation of early visitors, but Lily had merely thrown on a dainty dressing-gown over her nightdress, thrust her bare feet into bedroom slippers, and bundled up her wealth of hair into a simple knot. She was pale and heavy-eyed, yet more erethrally beautiful than when in her usual state of boisterous good health and high spirits. Her eyes seemed to be larger than ever, and the dark crescents beneath them lent a violet tint to their sapphire blue. In a word, Lily was tired, for she had not slept beyond a fitful doze which came to her aid long after the sun was high in the heavens, and desperately unhappy, and now that she was back in the everyday world. Her share of the breakfast, a cup of tea and some toast, was practically untasted. She had snatched at the newspaper before her mother could even pretend to have recovered from the shock of the curt announcement that she had refused Lord Pinecombe, and had promised to marry Nick O'Jays at the nearest possible date. And now that Mrs. Upjohn was regaining the power of speech, and had borne testimony to the same by imagining the disastrous physical result of an involuntary von plan downstairs, the rebellious Lily had the rebellious Lily had subsided into a stony silence. Ma felt like she had much to say, but literally dared not say it. So she sighed deeply again, sipped her tea, nibbled at a triangle of toast, and picked up the newspaper affecting an immediate and absorbing interest in the first article which caught her eye which happened to be a lecture delivered before the royal society on neolithic man happily there was one member of the household who took life more cheerily that bright morning maud occupied solely by the cares of her department bustled in from the adjoining dressing-room her hair was untidy as ever and her arms were full of lingerie but her good-humoured face was all smiles what frock will you put on she said to her mistress the girl started slightly the question brought her to earth with a shock. "'One of your embroidered muslins, or your ninon?' went on the affable maid. "'Either. I don't care,' said Lily, sinking back languidly among the cushions. "'Oh, gracious, what is the matter with you this morning? I've never known you as queer as this after any hop you've been to in my time.' Then Maud, deeply concerned, turned to Mrs. Upjohn, who had been wondering vaguely what sort of man a Neolithic one was. "'Nothing wrong, is there?' Maud said Lily, burying her head deeper in the cushions. "'Here I am, lovey,' said the girl, hurrying across the room. "'Go into the dressing-room, and shut the door behind you, "'and don't let me see your stupid fat face till I come to you.' Maud regarded these muffled instructions as being exceedingly humorous. "'That's better,' she cried, laughing heartily. "'Ha, ha, ha. That's how I like to hear her talk. "'We needn't send for Dr. Gilson yet a while. Ha, ha, ha.' and the sounds of her mirth came from beyond the closed door. "'Lil,' said Mrs. Upjohn timidly. "'Yes, mother,' was the faint reply. "'Have another cup of tea, won't you?' "'No.' "'Another bit of toast, then?' "'No.' "'Smoke a cigarette?' "'No.' "'Come now, ducky,' urged the perplexed matron. 
You always do have a whiff after your breakfast. No. This time, quite determinedly. Mrs. Upjohn rose and walked aimlessly about the room. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Deuce take Carlton Smythe and his supper party. Those are my sentiments. And Lal Roper, busybody that he is, things were going on with us smooth and peaceful as could be before this upset. Ma's outspoken soliloquy was effective. Lily raised herself angrily on her elbow. You were in it, mother, she protested. You are as much to blame as anybody. Mrs. Upjohn started as though her daughter had thrown something at her. On in it, she said plaintively, in Uncle Lau's artful plan to prevent Nico from being invited. You've confessed you were. As was her way, Mrs. Upjohn turned aside this arrow of fact. Lau twisted me round his little finger. I was clay in the border's end, as your dad was fond of saying. Once aroused, the girl found she could not nestle down again into the cushions comfortably. If only Nico had been there, she murmured, speaking to herself rather than addressing her disturbed parent. I shouldn't have given young Farncombe all those dances, nor wandered about with him in the intervals, nor allowed him to see me home. It all simply wouldn't, couldn't have happened. Oh, mother! And she hit a cushion energetically. What? said Mrs. Upjohn weakly. The girl sat up, embraced her knees, and knitted her brows. I'm, I'm so surprised at myself, she cried. Sup Surprised? echoed Ma. Yes, and so disappointed with myself. Why, you haven't done anything that's not quite respectable, Lil. On the contrary. No, said the girl, gazing dreamily at nothing. I haven't done anything that's actually not nice, but fancy letting myself go with the young Farncombe as I did. I knew he'd been admiring me from a distance for weeks and weeks, but I scarcely noticed him till last night. Now that she was in a more docile mood, Mrs. Upjohn had crept closer and seated herself on the settee, whereupon Lily leaned her head upon her mother's breast, in a childish way that was more pathetic than the other woman imagined, and said softly, "'I always thought I was such a cold girl, mother, in, in that way.' "'I suppose it's what's called love at first sight, ducky,' said Mrs. Upjohn, taking advantage, as she thought, of a suitable opening." She was considerably surprised and somewhat taken aback when her daughter laughed harshly and appealed to her not to talk rot, but it was hopeless to expect a woman of her temperament to appreciate the real nature of the problem that was torturing Lily Paradell. "'Anyhow, it's not too late, Lil. Even now,' she began soothingly. "'Not too late,' cried the girl, frowning in the effort to understand. "'To back out, dearie,' came the explanation." The captain couldn't possibly hold you to an hasty promise given him between four and five in the morning. Oh, mother, how can you? I've passed my word to Nico, and I wouldn't break it for twenty thousand pounds. I'm going to pull Nico up, mother. I've dragged him down, and I mean to raise him up. So help me God, I do. And she raised clenched hands in the air to emphasize her despairing resolve. Well, you've got a tough job before you, Lil, in my opinion, was all that Ma could find to say. Perhaps. But I mean to succeed, and Nico or no Nico, I'm determined not to draw Eddie Farncombe into my net. Into your net? Mrs. Upjohn dwells upon each word as though the repetition stung her. That's twice you've made use of that remark, once now, and once when you nearly struck me dumb with your story of what happened this morning. Ooze accused you of pulling anybody into a net. Ooh. 
She was interrupted by a lively rat-tat on the door, and Jimmy Birch bounced into the room, looking as though supper and a dance following a strenuous night at the theatre were a series of invigorating exercises prescribed by a specialist. Her face was flushed after a brisk walk. She wore a natty costume of black and white check, with a magpie hat and a red parasol. "'Hello, Ma!' she cried. "'There you are, Lillums!' Then she kissed Mrs. Upjohn with a cheerful aside. "'We've met before this morning, haven't we?' and coming to Lily, pecked at her cheek, but eyed her rather keenly. "'Well, dear old girl, and how are you today? A wreck?' "'Rather,' said Lily. "'I ought to be, but I'm not,' rattled on the visitor. "'Directly I laid my pretty head on the pillow, I went off, and I never stirred till I found the breakfast tray on my chest.' Then she counted on her fingers. Five to six, six to seven, seven to eight, eight to nine, nine to ten, ten to eleven. I've had six hours. That's not so dusty.' You didn't sleep very soundly, I suppose, she added shyly. Not very, said her friend dismally, but Jimmy only smiled the broad grin of complete comprehension. Excited, she demanded. Lily shrugged her shoulders. There was an awkward silence until Miss Birch, still beaming with anticipation, saw that Mrs. Upjohn had settled herself disconsolately at some distance. May I sit down for a minute, she inquired, dropping her voice. "'Of course, Jimmy, do,' said Lily. The girl flopped into an armchair and evidently awaited some communication which was not forthcoming. Ma began to drum on the table with her fingers, and Lily busied herself with rearranging the cushions on the settee. After a while, Miss Birch discovered that she really could not endure this state of uncertainty. "'I hope I haven't dropped in too early,' she said with quiet sarcasm. Lily settled her shoulders into the cushions. "'Not a bit, dear,' she murmured. "'It's nearly half-past twelve, and I, I dashed around.' She waited, but the others said nothing, and, unable to restrain herself any further, she cried eagerly. "'Any news? Any, any, anything to tell me?' "'Yes,' said Mrs. Upjohn abruptly. W "'What? Lil's engaged.' "'Ha-ha!' cried Miss Birch triumphantly, clapping her hands and beating her feet upon the floor. "'Ha-ha-ha! That's the best thing I've heard for a month of Sundays!' She sprang up and caught Lily in her arms, and hugged and kissed her delightedly. "'Oh, you, 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 you humbugs!' Then she rushed at Mrs. Upjohn and embraced her in turn. "'You solemn humbug, Ma!' In her elation, she danced off into the middle of the room, singing the refrain of that last waltz. "'If you only, only love me, if you would merely, merely say, wait a little, little for me!' Then her voice trailed off into silence, since she couldn't help noting the sorrowful expression of Lily's face and the gloom which had settled upon Mrs. Upjohn. Ma was only biding her time. She pounced now with a certain venom of tone. "'You would better wait a little. You'd better wait till you hear who she's engaged to.' "'Who to?' "'Whom to, mother?' said Lily, studying her nails. "'Why, isn't it Lord Farncombe?' demanded Jimmy. "'No, it ain't,' snapped Mrs. Upjohn. "'It's the captain.' "'The captain? Nico. "'Oh!' And Miss Birch drew a deep breath. "'Yes,' said Lily calmly. "'Nico turned up here early this morning while Eddie... Well, Lord Farncombe was with me, in fact, and I, we, the three of us, we, we talked matters over, and, and, Miss Birch's eyes were nearly starting out of her head. Was there a row? she said in an odd voice. Oh, don't be so curious, Jimmy, grumbled Lily. 
Poor Nico has been after me for six years. A girl must play the game if she's at all decent and wishes to preserve a shred of self-respect. Jimmy subsided into an armchair with a perfect decorum of manner that offered quaint contrast to her earlier elation, and Mrs. Upjohn, gaining confidence from her presence, moistened her lips with her tongue and said venomously, "'How do you feel about it?' "'How do I feel about it?' repeated the girl thoughtfully. She looked at Lily and inquired in a still, small voice, "'May I say?' "'Certainly,' was the cold response." Well, she replied with slow deliberation, if I were on board ship at this moment, I should be ringing for the stewardess. That's how I feel about it. Her friend wriggled round convulsively among the cushions and hid her face. Oh, she wailed. You're just like the rest of our girls on the question of marriage. You're detestable. Miss Birch sidled out of her armchair, flung herself on her knees by Lily's side, and threw her arms impetuously round the quivering shoulders. Oh, Lil, Lil, she almost wept, but Lily Paradell had no mind for condolences. She repulsed the other almost harshly. Yes, you are, she cried shrilly. You rejoice to see me draw this boy into my net. You know you would. I dare say you jolly well wouldn't object to catching him yourself if you had half the chance. But try it. Just try it. You or any of you. The scandalized Jimmy attempted to rise, but was held fast. Oh, she protested. Lil, I'm perfectly ashamed of you speaking of Jimmy Birch in that manner, said Mrs. Upjohn, majestically indignant. Lily's face was close to her friend's, and Jimmy felt a scorching tear fall on her cheek. "'She doesn't mean it, Ma,' she said brokenly. "'And I hope not, indeed. It ain't exactly pleasant to have a dog in the manger for a daughter. Why shouldn't young Farncombe turn his attention to Miss Birch Prey, or to any young lady who don't object to taking your leave-ins?' Ma was apparently addressing the circumambient air, but when Lily appealed her to hush, she strutted about and said emphatically, "'No, I won't hush!' The visitor fancied that she had thrust herself all unwittingly into what she called a family row, and so she struggled to her feet and said quietly that she would come back in the afternoon. But Mrs. Upjohn had been waiting for an opportunity to flaunt her grievances, and was not inclined now to let it escape. "'Lil seems to have got some maggot or other in her brain about drawing Lord Farncombe into her net,' she exclaimed. "'Net, indeed! I would like to know what she means by that.' As Lal Roper was saying yesterday, our tip-top aristocratic families ought to be extremely grateful that strong, healthy professionals of the class of Miss Arker and Miss Travail and Miss Shafto are entering their ranks, and if Lil chooses to be pig-headed enough. But Miss Birch had guessed shrewdly something of what Lily was suffering, and she cut short Mrs. Upjohn's tirade by making for the door. Do have a bottle of ginger beer before you go pleaded the older woman, clinging to the chance of enlightening her daughter as to her real views on the vital question at issue, but there came a prolonged playful knocking at the door, which seemed to be the signal fully understood by those in the room, because there was a gloomy pause before Mrs. Upjohn added, "'Here is Lal now.' Lily groaned incoherently, and Mrs. Upjohn drew a long face, but the knocking was repeated, and Mrs. Upjohn was compelled to cry, "'Come in!' It certainly was Roper, spick and span in his city attire, and evidently in a most jovial mood. "'Hello, hello, hello!' he cried. "'Any more bids for the handsome gilt candelabra with the crystal drops?' He saluted Mrs. Upjohn and Miss Birch with affable nods, but bent solicitously over his special protégé. "'Well, Lil, 
Well, my pet, how are you? Not up to much today, I fancy. For his twinkling eyes had quickly noted her woebegone aspect. No great shakes, said Ma gloomily. Dancing too hard, I expect. Oh, a deal too hard. There was a slight pause, then Robert inquired. Anything else amiss, Ma? Mrs. Upjohn deemed the effort too great to be made. She signaled emphatically to Jimmy Birch. You tell Lal, she cried. I can't. Tell him what? The stockbroker had suddenly dropped his animated air and was apprehensive of some evil, the nature of which he could not even guess. Well, the old Pandora isn't going to score this time, said Miss Birch gravely. Isn't going to score? I don't follow you. Be plain, Jimmy, urged Mrs. Upjohn. The girl giggled and tried vainly to relieve the situation. <laughs> she cried. Nature's taken precious good care of that in my case. Roper turned on her angrily and strutted up and down the room. Now look here, Jimmy, he declared. A jest is a capital thing in its way. No man has a keener sense of humor than Lyle Roper. There are occasions when it's out of place, and this is one of them, my dear, and if it's not putting you to serious inconvenience. Finding that her quip had missed fire, Miss Birch also lost her temper. Oh, well then, have it in the neck, she said vehemently. Lily has declined young Farncombe, and when you crack a joke next, Mr. Roper, I'll beg you contrive to favor us with a little variety, because you bore me stiff with your rotten wheezes, and you always have done. Roper was simply aghast at the tidings. He extended his hands appealingly to Mrs. Upjohn, who harped instantly upon the phrase which she resented. "'Won't draw him into her net, uncle,' she snapped. "'Won't draw him into her—' "'Her net!' broke in, Jimmy derisively. "'K-N-E-T-T net. You know, the sort. Hello, 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 fresh fish from the sea. Buy him on the beach. Buy him on the beach. All alive and wriggling.' Then she mimicked the fussy little stockbroker's manner and voice so admirably that he turned his back on her in a state of ponderous indignation. Of course, he said, affecting to disregard the girl's jibing. Of course, there is this to be said, Ma. It may be wise of dear Lil to decline Farncombe at first. It, it doesn't do for a girl, does it, to appear to throw herself at any man, let alone a young man of the position, the social status. Roper was picking his words with care and mopping his domed forehead industriously when Lil sat up suddenly, resolved to put an end once more and for all to an intolerable situation. Oh, for mercy's sake, she protested. Cease discussing my affairs in my presence. You, mother, why do you keep Uncle Lal in the dark? Jimmy, why don't you speak plainly? In the dark? bleated Roper. Yes, Lal said Mrs. Upjohn, with a great assumption of dignity. You flying out at Jimmy over armless joke, stopped her finishing. Lil as only refused young Farncombe, but she as gone and plighted herself to another individual. Yes, to one of the best, cried Lily passionately. Do I know him? exclaimed the stupefied Roper, whereat Miss Birch had the bad taste to laugh scornfully. Know him? repeated Lily, her eyes sparkling and her face flushing at the memory of what she had gone through during the early hours of that day. You know him sufficiently to have plotted and schemed to prevent him being asked to the party last night. Did Lal do that? broke in Miss Birch with mock horror. The impudence of him! Roper had suddenly become subdued. He sat down quietly and shot out one word. Jays. Yes, Nico, said Lily firmly. 
Mrs. Upjohn, of course, could not permit herself to be left out in that crisis. But the captain was at the party last night, notwithstanding. She broke in. Nonsense, Ma, said Jimmy. It's quite true, said Lily, resignedly. Nico did manage to get into the theatre somehow or other. He saw everything that took place there, saw me dancing far too often with Lord Francombe, and finally stationed himself under the portico at twenty-seven in order to find out who brought me home. The full shock of events was beginning to make itself felt on the visitors. Roper sat as one stunned, but Jimmy Birch's mouth framed itself into a horrified, Oh, he's always been frightfully jealous, the captain has, said Mrs. Upjohn. Oddly enough, at this juncture, a new element of discord was introduced. Miss Birch whirled round on the flabbergasted stockbroker. "'So really it's entirely owing to your interference that matters were brought to a head this morning,' she said indignantly. "'Entirely,' agreed Lily, whose eyes flashed complete accordance with her friend's outburst. Even Mrs. Upjohn joined in the attack. "'Yes, if Lal had been content to mind his own business,' she began. "'And hadn't meddled,' cried Jimmy." and muddled added ma things might have gone mu on much the same as before said her ally and might have ended different cried mrs upjohn rejoicing in an object on which to vent her wrath anyhow i hope it'll be a lesson to him next time not to put his fingers into other people's pies oh you are sanguine said miss birch with withering intonation lily essayed feebly to stay the gathering storm but Roper himself rose to the occasion, and carried the war into the enemy's territory. Ma, Miss Upjohn, Lily, he began. Hello, 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 broke in Jimmy scornfully. Ah, stop that now, he said, raising a hand. Ma, Lily, he resumed impressively. For years, for more years than is agreeable to count, I've been a patron of the drama, particularly musical comedy, of which I have studied the development with especial interest. Miss Birch, doubting his sincerity, propped her face saucily upon her hands, and rested her elbows upon the table. Yes, you've studied a lot of development in your day, she broke in, but he ignored her, and ostentatiously produced a pair of gloves. It's been a fad with me, he said slowly. I put it no higher than that, but I've devoted time to it, and I frankly admit it. I've had more than one serious dispute with Mrs. Roper on the subject. Yesterday, by an odd occurrence, I received, and his left hand tapped solemnly on the breast pocket of his coat, I received a letter from my wife. It was full of complaints. She says I haven't been to Bexhill, nor set eyes on her and her and the kids for weeks and weeks, and to do Ellen Roper justice, she is not the woman to grumble without cause. He picked up the hat and cane which he had deposited on a chair, and began polishing the hat carefully with his sleeve. Dash it all, he said reflectively. Home ties are home ties, taking one consideration with another, and after this occurrence, it's my intention for the future, my firm intention. But Roper's long speech and exceeding gravity had proved too much for the nerves of one of his listeners. Lily leaped from her couch, ran to him, and clasped him round the neck. Oh, Uncle Lal, you're not going altogether, she almost sobbed. We're tired and cross this morning, but you can't leave us altogether. No. "'No, no, uncle, you really mustn't. You really mustn't,' chimed in Ma. "'Forgive us, dear,' sobbed the girl. "'Mother and Jimmy are a pair of cats.' A horrified protest came from Jimmy, 
but the scene was suddenly brought to an end by the appearance of the starched Gladys, who entered with a card on the salver. "'Are you in?' she said, addressing her mistress loftily. "'In?' repeated Lily wrathfully. "'What are you talking about?' But the parlour-maid only surveyed her with mingled disdain and pity. "'Oh, you do look washed out,' she said. Miss Paradell strode up to her angrily and snatched at the card. "'Never you mind whether I look washed out or not,' she said. "'Who is it, and what do they want?' She glanced at the card, and at once her pale face became, if possible, paler, while she put her hand to her eyes as though to shut out some sight that distressed her exceedingly. The superior Gladys gave no heed to these signs of emotion. "'They're in the dining-room,' she said primly. "'Oh, go,' moaned Lily. "'Wait outside, on, on the landing.' "'Oh, all right,' said Gladys, tilting her nose. "'But this won't get my silver cleaned, will it?' She flounced out, and her mistress hardly waited for the door to close, ere she walked to and fro distractedly. Well, "'Why can't they leave me alone?' she wailed. "'What do they want with me now, both of them?' Mrs. Upjohn ran to her anxiously. "'Oh, is it, Lil?' she cried. "'Nick goes downstairs with Lord Farncombe. Nico asks me to see him and the boy together. But I won't. I won't. Why should they torture me in this way?' End of chapter 15. Recording by Susanna Mason.